Welcome to the Toxin Terminator, helping people to restore and renew their health by removing the toxins from the home and their lives. Join in as industry thought leaders help you understand the physical and emotional effects these products can have on you and your family, and the safe alternatives you can use to remove the hidden toxins for renewed health. Now, please welcome your host, the Toxin Terminator herself, Amy Carlson. We have no idea what it feels like to really feel good. In fact, six out of 10 adults are suffering from chronic disease, and four out of those 10 have multiple chronic diseases, things like diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and even cancer. Learn how to remove chronic disease today in our virtual summit. You're going to learn what is the current health of our nation, physically, mentally, spiritually. You're going to learn how to create a healing environment within your body, learning all the different modalities shared by our experts, and you're going to hear stories of rejuvenation. Take the first step today and register for free. You'll hear from speakers like Belden Combe, who's a metabolic cellular biologist who knows exactly how the body works. Dr. Al Dannenberg, who practiced as a periodontist for over 44 years and is a certified primal health care coach, and Chantel Ray from Waste Away the Chantel Ray Way and learning how intermittent fasting can heal our body. I promise you this, when you attend our summit, you're going to get your toolbox full and you'll know how to implement these practices step by step so that you can find your rejuvenated health and get your story. Register now for free for the Restore, Renew, Rejuvenate Summit at amycarlson.com or click the link in the show notes. And welcome back to the show, everybody. I am so glad that you tune in each and every week. And now that we have two episodes, we just have more blessings to pour out to you and more learnings because, boy, I am. I just get opened up to new possibilities all the time. And I got to tell you, I knew that this episode was on my calendar and I was so excited because one of the areas that we have not touched on, and we're coming into our year anniversary here, is finances. You know, and how toxic finances can actually be. Um, I don't know about your house, but I know there's a statistic out there that I think that a very high percentage of divorces are because of finances. A lot of the arguments that families have are because of finances, that they're not on the same page, they're not following the same budget, um, you know, and, and I know my guest is going to talk more and more about this. So, you know, if you are someone who is sick and tired of living paycheck to paycheck, if you are in debt over your head and you don't see a way out, don't feel like it's ever going to come to an end. If you are saying over your life, speaking over your life, I can't afford it. This is an episode for you because we're going to teach you tools today on how to budget. We're going to learn how to become debt-free. We're going to learn how to have those difficult conversations so that we can set up healthy boundaries. We're going to learn how to save money. Uh, my guest today is a preferred, uh, Ramsey preferred coach. She is a financial specialist. She helps individuals, couples, and families really develop good financial habits. She provides a stable future and a carefree life. And I couldn't be more excited to introduce you all to Suzanne Johnson. Thanks for coming on. 
Oh, Amy, I'm so happy you had me. Thank you so much. Oh, you bet. So did I butcher this? Because the Ramsey financial planning really is... <clears throat> biblically based, isn't it? It's it's a very yes. Christian uh, financial planning tool. I know my my son and his wife have gone through it and seems like a lot of churches um, put people through the, the Ramsey financial coaching um, process. Is that, am I correct in that? Absolutely. So the program that your son probably did is called Financial Peace University. Okay. That is a, uh, I'm going to call it a free class because the person who leads it, the coordinator is not um, paid. Okay. That is the ministry side of our business as financial coaches. So I'm actually leading a class, uh, you know, today's July 9th, whenever you guys are listening to this, it's starting on July 15th, Okay, <laughs> but it's a virtual class. So just yeah. to use it as an example, I just wrapped up a class for a family up in New York. We're doing it virtually. This class I'm doing starting on July 15th is another virtual class. It is tailored towards Pacific Coast people because it starts at 7 p.m. Pacific Coast time. Um, but that's a free class because the instructor, the coordinators, the people leading the class are not getting paid. It does cost money for the materials, so I, I don't want to be doing any sort of false advertising. But that is a biblically-based financial class. Right. The majority of the people who sponsor that class, a.k.a., providing a free space, uh, our churches. And right. then second beneath that would be real estate offices. I've actually done the class twice in two different real estate offices. Right. And it is the, the overall, the overarching lesson of the nine weeks is that we are living like no one else. Mm -hmm. So later we can live and give like no one else. And the way that Dave Ramsey defines giving is through God's kingdom. So right. it is a very biblically based class. This is why churches are usually the ones to sponsor the space and sponsor the time and provide free child right. care and things like that. Right. In this day and age of post-pandemic coronavirus, uh, most of the classes are now done virtually. So you don't even right. have to worry about that. Right. Well, and unless, you know, there's a couple of things that are coming up and I know, you know, we're going to go down all kinds of rabbit holes here and you'll, <laughs> you'll get to know my little personality. I'm here and there and everywhere, and this won't go in any kind of succinct order at all. <laughs> but I think about things like, you know, what's happened to the world in the last 90 days, you know, did that set you up for a huge financial crisis, you know, or were you taking care of things prior to that happening? And if you weren't, is going through this because there's a lot of people who were laid off. There's a lot of people whose businesses closed the doors. You know, there's there was a lot of financial devastation and we haven't seen the end of it yet no. um, by any stretch of the imagination. And I know you'll talk to us about that. But I think this kind of thing happening needs to open our eyes to we've got to have a plan. We have to know what's going on with our money. And I remember in my earlier adult life thinking, I make good money. Why am I living paycheck to paycheck? You know, what is going on? So... If I'm having these thoughts, half the rest of the world is having them too. So, yes. you know, let's talk about what you're seeing currently. So I'm going to just throw out a statistic that was pre-pandemic. Uh, earlier this year in mid-February, I know that sounds like eight years ago. 
80 it years does, ago. It does, doesn't point. it? Oh my gosh. But mid-February, but literally while we were just hearing about this pandemic as something that was still in China, right? literally U.S. politicians hadn't even commented on it yet. I gave a talk at a very reputable mortgage broker company who invited me in as a Ramsey coach, knowing the biblical background of the program. And they said, we want you to speak to our room is specifically class for women uh, about the psychology of money. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of a, I don't want to say there's a conflict of interest as a Christian, but there is definitely a psychology of money. God created us as humans and we have these human tendencies and there's mm-hmm. psychology behind humans. And so I sat down and I went through kind of all the normal statistics that I would give during any presentation, Christian-based or not. Uh, The pre-pandemic percentage at the end of 2019, and I literally had a whole slide that showed exactly where I got these numbers from, 89% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck pre-pandemic. I can't even imagine what that is like now. And I didn't know to say pre-pandemic. We didn't know we were going to have a pre-pandemic. So the statement just came out. 89% of people are living paycheck to paycheck, period. Period. End of story. And yeah. to me, that is insane. But it, but it, um, the Bible teaches us we need to be good stewards of our money. And yeah. I am of the philosophy that money is not a bad thing. Money is not an evil thing. Um, you know, it's what do we do with it? And, you know, when we create more money for ourselves, we're able to go out there and help more people and do more good in the world. So I don't view money as an evil thing. And I don't believe that the Bible does either. But it absolutely teaches us we have to be a steward of good money and we have to give. You know, we're not going to be, when we can't take care of the little that we have, we're not going to be given more you know and and we have to we have to give back you know um to society that's how this all works um 89 percent that has a lot to do with i believe marketing I believe, you know, we're, we're, you know, we live in this world where we think we have to have everything. We have to live in the million dollar home. We have to have, you know, two and three cars. We have to have the clothes, the, the, all the lifestyle that is creating such a stressor over here on this side. That's so funny that you just said that because one of the other statistics I gave in that presentation was that, uh, and it was, um, this one was specific to millennials, uh, but the same survey, the same survey of, of people who were employed, it was an employee survey of a very, very, very large swath of companies. Right. 71% of millennials said in 2019, their financial stress had increased over the last year. 71 said they increased over 2019. We still hadn't touched the pandemic status at this point. So if 71% increased in 2019, imagine what percentage increased in the first five months of 2020. It's uh, crazy. Uh, of 2020. And I do, yeah. And I want we, to address we, what you said about money being not a bad thing. No. And I think millennials have this in their head, specifically millennials. Money is amoral. Yes. This pen is amoral. Mm-hmm. If I take this pen and God forbid I stab Amy with it. The pen did not do that. It was the function of the human being managing the pen to make its actions amoral. 
Right. A brick, Dave Ramsey has used this example before, a brick is amoral. Right. If we take a brick and we throw it through a window, we have now done something amoral with the brick. Right. If we take that brick and we build a children's hospital. It's the same brick, guys. It's the exact same brick. Right. It's just we have taken this inanimate object that God has given us authority over, and now we're doing something different with it. Yes. It is not a sin to have money. No. And people think that that's what the Bible says. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of of money is the root of all evil. I've gotten into, I have been dragged into social media conversations by people who are like, wait, Suzanne knows the answer to this. Commenting, you know, tag me in another (laughs) post. Tell this person they're wrong. And I'm like, well, I didn't sign up to be here, but you are wrong. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money is the root of all evil. Right, right. And and we have to make sure that we're understanding that. Um, I find it very interesting that you said uh, 71% of millennials said that their stress level increased in 2019. When, if we look at the economy of the United States, because that's where we live, in 2019, strong economy. Oh, yeah. You know, very strong economy. And they're saying 71% had financial, you know, stress. stress. Um, You know, and I think about, you know, let's let's first talk about the negative. You know, let's just get the elephant out in the room. So we talk about stresses. I I alluded to, and I bet you've got some numbers maybe, of how many marriages end in divorce because of money. I do have that. So... Nine, and this is North America. So this includes Canada, the US and Mexico. The most recent numbers we have is that nine out of 10 divorce decrees list financial incompatibility or financial problems as a reason for divorce. That's 90% guys, like nine, that's insane. That is an insane number. We talk in America, we'll go back to America now. We talk about sex, politics and religion more than we talk about money. And that is truly one of the things that I am very passionate about is we will talk about all these other things that can have toxic, uh, you know, applications to our relationships, but we won't talk about money. You will notice when someone pulls up in a new car, you will ask them about every feature on the car. You will never ask them, are you leasing? Are you financing? Did you pay it in cash? If you didn't pay it in cash, what are you paying per month? Yeah. I just wrote a blog post today about purchasing used cars instead of purchasing new cars. The average new car, the second you drive it off the lot, depreciates between 9 and 11%. Let me give you a perfect example, okay? I was in the automotive industry, so you're talking right up my alley here with with cars. (laughs) Not necessarily new cars, but I can tell you that purchasing a new car is like the most boneheaded decision you can ever make. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. I'm going to go back to that blog post and quote you. <laughs> Amy Carlson, the Toxin Terminator, said it's boneheaded. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> but it it is it's ridiculous. My husband and I, for instance, just purchased a, um, he loves, loves, loves the Lincoln MKT. Now, the MKTs, you know, didn't get made for a couple of years. And we had one early on. And I'm not 
a huge fan of them. Um, I have an, uh, an MKX, I think it's the smaller SUV down in Arizona. And he, so anyways, he's like, I want to get you an MKT for down here. I'm like, you know what? I'm driving this Ford Fusion. I don't know what year it is, but it gets me around just fine. I'm okay with it. Here's the thing. We purchased a $50,000 plus car for $21,000 paying cash for it because we bought it and it's like, I don't know, two or three years old with less than 30,000 miles on it. You know, so why, why would you go and spend 30 some thousand dollars more because it's brand new? And now I'm the toxin terminator. So I can tell you that new car smell, totally toxic. Why would you want to even have it? You know, you buy used because it's off-gassed and it's not doing it anymore. That's all the plastic, the vinyl, the leather, all the materials that they use. That new car smell is all of that stuff off-gassing and you're sitting in there breathing it every time you drive your car. No, you're so funny because I actually purchased a couple of years ago and I should probably run this product by you because you would know. But it is a, it's very, um, it's very simple. It's a charcoal filter. Yes. So, and literally the way you replenish it is that you take it and you put it in the sun for two to three days. Oh yeah. Dry the whole thing out because I kept feeling like I was smelling something in my car and it wasn't, it I didn't like it. It didn't make me feel good. And so I finally said something to somebody and they're like, I think it's because your car has like this really nice leather and it smells really nice. And I'm like, this doesn't smell nice to me. Like I want a clean environment. So I actually purchased that filter and I've actually recommended it to my brother and sister. I swear up and down by that thing now. And I leave it in the car and it keeps it uh, obviously toxic free, but the smell, it doesn't have that same leathery smell anymore. It eliminates that. Um, So that's hilarious that, yeah, yeah, people, but it goes back to your original point, Amy, of, there's marketing. This is what has been beaten into us. We are the most marketed to society in the world. And in 10 minutes, those people will be the most marketed to society. And in another 11 years, those people will be the most marketed to society. When did we become people who felt like the TV you know, needed to tell us how we should feel, how we should look, what we should wear, what any of that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so sad to me that it's gotten to this point, or if it's not TV, it's on the computers. It's, you know, it's everywhere it is, but we're so digressing <laughs> to many <No>. different <laughs> topics, but, um, but I, I, but, but that it's the marketing, you know, that yeah. has absolutely led into us, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, you know, that's what I was ingrained in me when I was growing up. Um, it's, you know, we have to have these vacations or the other thing. Now, here's the other side of the whole money thing that comes up is when I have this brand new oh. car, then I'll be happy. When I have this brand new home in this district, going to this school on this block, then I'm going to be happy. When we are able to take this kind of vacation, people have so lost the art of appreciating exactly what's in front of them and exactly what they mm-hmm. have. Absolutely. 90%. Right. 
and, and right. And the old cliche of keeping up with the Joneses, it still rings true today. But in 2020, we've repackaged this. We have repackaged keeping up with the Joneses into keeping up with your pseudo friends spending habits via Instagram. Because now we see uh, <laughs> the vacations when I can go on that Disney vacation that so-and-so just took her family on, then I will be happy. Yes. When I can buy this car that so-and-so just posted on their Instagram of them laying across the hood, then I will be happy. And I, again, guys, you know, money is not the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's literally what is going on by us looking at these social media channels, these digital marketing channels and coveting what our neighbor has. I mean, I think that's kind of sums it up, right? There's like a whole commandment about that. I think Yeah, well, we have to, yeah, we have to pull back and we have to say what, one of the things that I always uh, say to people is, is what you're doing now supporting the kind of life you're trying to create? Yeah. And if you're a super surface level person, maybe a shallow type of person, the life you're trying to create is going to be reflected in those Instagram posts. Yeah. But take a step back, take a deep breath and say to yourself, almost 90% of people are living paycheck to paycheck the chances that this person paid off this vacation, the chances that this person owns this car outright and that the repo man can't come get it in two years is pretty slim. You've got to think about eight out of your closest friends plus you, one other person, and that's how many people are living paycheck to paycheck. It's not, it's not singularly a you problem. It is a societal problem. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, and I, it just makes me sad. And I'm not here to say, and Suzanne, I know your heart too, that, you know, you can't have nice things. No one no, is right. saying that. Not at all. But we have to be fiscally responsible with it. And we have to be willing to have those hard conversations. You know, I, my husband and I, we've been married for 15 years now. It's a second marriage for both of us. We sat down before we ever got married, um, you know, and we had the discussion about money. What's money going to look like for us? Who's going to manage the money? What kind of budget are we going to live by? You know, what what kind of life do we want to have? Uh, you know, it, we we did all those discussions and had, you know, made sure that we were on the same page of where where we were going you know, and what we wanted to have, you know, in the future. Um, Right. And that's so those intricate conversations um, are very difficult for people. Mm -hmm. And and so when I start my coaching sessions, and this is like the very, very, very beginning, uh, one of the really hard questions, like you mentioned, lots of hard questions. uh, What was money like for you growing up? Not in your first marriage. Not when you were in your 20s, not when you were a teenager. What was it like when you were in elementary school? What is the first memory you have of your parents saying something that resonated and you all of a sudden had this, you were able to fathom money? You might not have been able to fathom the amount. $400 for a fourth grader is a billion dollars, right? Right. So you might not have been able to understand that a car repair costing $2,000 was a lot of money. But what was the moment, good or bad, that you remember your parent or your guardian 
saying something specific about money. And that's, well, that's actually a huge factor in people's lives. And, and let me ask you this question then along that, that line is I think, you know, my mind is going back to when I was a kid and money yep. was not discussed. It was not. And I had no inclination of money, having it, not having it, any of that. Those were very private conversations that happened yeah. between mom and dad and didn't happen openly. We've gotten very, very, very different in our world. And so as a child, I grew up being loved and happy and, and feeling like I had everything I could possibly want or need. And as an adult, I look back and we were dirt poor, you know, we were, and, but we didn't, I had no sense of that. I right. had no sense that we didn't have, um, you know, or were in lack of anything. Um, right. And sometimes you could argue that it might have served you better a little bit to possibly have been exposed to that a little bit. Um, because some of the things that, and again, at a certain age, we, we literally have, I teach a money a class, another Dave Ramsey class called smart money, smart kids. And it literally breaks down when children should be exposed to uh, for example, a three and four year old is completely capable of understanding my toys need to go in this basket. Oh, right? don't we're not going to have the three or four year old <laughs> cut the grass. Don't even talk to me about right. the children and <laughs> money. I have 12 grandkids. Ah! They have no concept of money. I could they, do a smart money, smart class just for your family and it would be packed. <laughs> it would absolutely be packed. Our youngest are two. The oldest is 14 when it comes to the grandkids. Oh. But honestly, I don't think our children today are getting the concept of money because they are given everything they want. Yep. And, and I look at, I see, you know, houses that are destroyed. I see, you know, toys that are not taken care of, things that are not, you know, valued. Yes. Um, yes. You know, in our society today, because they don't have any concept of money. So how young do you start teaching children about money? So we literally actually start at that three or four year old mark. And we are, we are not giving coins or dollars or anything for the child putting their toys away. What we're doing is we're saying, this is an action that we expect an affirmative response to. Hey, little Joey, it's time for you to clean up your toys. He could be three and a half years old. If he has watched Sesame Street, if back in the 90s he had watched Barney, he is fully aware of what it means to clean up. And, you know, I'm sure this <laughs> the shows up, today. Clean up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now I'm going to have it stuck in my head. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> You're so welcome. I do what I can. <laughs> so that three or four, we actually start. Uh, we actually start associating an action with a with an affirmative response. So Amy, Grandma Amy says, little Joey, it's time for you to pick up your toys. Thank you so much for doing that. That's so wonderful. That's a very good thing that you did. Believe mm -hmm. it or not, as young as five and six, we can actually start equating chores and tasks. We don't have to call them chores yet. We don't want to like, you know, we don't want to call it an allowance. Let me say that. We do not want to call it an allowance. We That definition has just kind of turned into, I give my kids money for nothing and I give my kids money to work. Right. Allowance literally means, definitionally means you're not doing anything for it. Right. Commission. We want to have kids on a commission based 
task or chore system. So even as young as five or six, we can start saying, hey, little Joey, you're five and a half now. Um, if you make your bed the whole week and you go over to the fridge and you put a little mark every morning that you made your bed, you will get a dollar at the end of the week. It literally can start as early as that. And all we are doing is associating an action with a reward. And right. now we're tying the action with, instead of just Grandma Amy's praise, we're now tying that action with, hey, you're doing this action and you're getting a physical something back for it. Right. And a five and six-year-old knows what money is, guys. Like your kid's watching you all the time. Yes. That's why we have the show that the old show that says kids say the darndest things. Yes. They see everything, they hear everything, and they, they repeat and act on everything. Oh, our two-year-old grandkids, they were just up here at the lake and it's like, ooh, they're repeating everything. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Okay. So now, now let me ask you, because you know, that's the way I grew up, that we had mm-hmm. a set of tasks that we needed to do and we earned money, you know, based yeah. upon those sets of tasks. And I learned that all the way through, you know, growing up. It started after I it doesn't matter. Now, little Joey that's getting that dollar, you know, for making his bed each week. Then what do we teach them about what to do with that money? Exactly. I love it. So for the kids who are younger than probably under 12, uh, and once you get to that age, you can kind of tell you can have a pretty uh, mature nine-year-old and you can have a pretty immature 12-year-old who ends up being at the same. So really at that point, you're going to have to gauge. And if you have more than one kid, you know, oh, this one was mature way earlier than this one's going to be mature. Right. Uh, This one's got no idea. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So between once we start giving money as the commission, as Mm -hmm. the reward, um, we break down their money into three different categories, give, save, and spend. And this is literally based in biblical finance, right? You take the top 10% and you tithe with it. And where have we heard that in the Bible? Yeah. (laughs) Always, always, you know, exactly. Yeah. And then you pay yourself second. So the first thing would be giving tithing, whatever that looks like for you and your family. Then the next thing would be saving. You Mm -hmm. pay yourself Mm -hmm. and then spend. This is where it gets a little complicated for adults. Because when we hear spend, when Mm -hmm. you and me hear spend, we think about going shopping. Right. But spend is all of the money that is leaving your house. So that is expenses. That is going shopping. That is getting gas. That is getting groceries. But when we're working with kids between five and about 12 years old, we just simply break it down into give, save, spend. But that's the basis for adult budgets. Exactly. That's literally the basis of the budgets that I do with people. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, and if we can start it with our children when they're young and to understand. Now, one of the concepts that we worked with, uh, well, we, not we, my, my daughter-in-laws praised them, you know, uh, immensely for this, is many of them, even before money started to be transferring from, you know, parent to child, they were, they had to give toys and books away before they got new, you know, items in back. So we, we, they were training them already in that giving mode, um, you know, that, that that was part of the process that, that they had to do. Okay. I so- have a lot of people that I know who do that, um, especially right before Christmas. And mm-hmm. 
Uh, they try to train their kids in the sense of you guys are lucky that not only is Santa going to come for you, but your parents are also going to give you things and your grandparents are also mm-hmm. going to give you things. Your aunts and uncles are going to give you things. So there's some kids out there who don't have a lot of aunts and uncles or their mommies and daddies don't have as much money and they will go through kind of a purge process with their kids leading up to Christmas time, which is wonderful. Uh, my mom is, is not here to dispute this anymore, rest her soul, but she actually used to do, take it one step further with us. If we got toys at our birthday and we stopped playing with them after a few months, she would hide them in a closet and (laughs) rotate them out six months later. And suddenly we had a new toy and I I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this in a really long time. And one of my clients said, so I'm doing this toy rotation thing with my kids. You might think it's weird. And I'm like, my mom did that with me in the early eighties. Like that is amazing. I did that with my son. I mean, especially when they're younger, they've got no idea. Brand new. Who knew? Oh, oh, I remember this, but I don't, I don't know how long ago it was that I got it or that you've been hiding it from me. So yeah, you can even take a step further because that, that couple that I just mentioned is really trying hard to get out of their debt, like trying so hard. Um, it's there in several hundred, a few hundred thousand dollars of debt. Yeah. And it's multiple different, different things. And so she said, I heard about this from another parent who did it. And, and listen, when they're young enough, you can pretty much try anything, but it's not, you don't have to be ashamed of that. It's not something to say like, Hey, I'm trying this. Like, don't tell anyone. No, like be, have some ingenuity when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I learn from my clients when they're going out and they're saying, Hey, you know, I found this new way to save money. Like I just shaved off another $65 of our budget. Like, isn't that awesome? And I'm like, well, I'm glad uh, you thought of that because I yeah. wouldn't have thought. <laughs> yeah, it, which is a fantastic. So, so we're talking about budgeting here. We've talked about the three principles with that that we're gonna we're gonna give, we're gonna save, we're gonna spend. You know, yeah. budget, right? Um, and and we can get into more detail and maybe what we want to do is morph this podcast into, like, let's have some deep dives into to budgeting. Let's have some deep dives into how to get ourselves out of budget or out of budget, out of debt. Because that's the other thing. I think about our kids today. You know, they're spending, you know, 40 to $60,000 on a minimal average. I mean, very conservative college education. You know, mm-hmm. what is that going to look like when your children are ready to go to college? And if they go to an Ivy League or a private school, that number is exponential. Oh. Um, and and then half, I, I don't know what the statistic is and if you've got that number uh, in front of you, but uh, so many people don't even use the degree that they go to college for, that they spend all this money. My son, who's 35 right now, is still paying off student debt. And it's insane to me. Now, it's not his, it's his wife's because we managed it, you know, to pay as he went. It wasn't done, you know, through student loans. But let's talk about that debt because that is so very real. 
for so right, many absolutely. people. Yeah. Uh, the student loan debt crisis, I think uh, the last number I saw was 33 trillion. And even as adults, we can't fathom 33 trillion. I mean, we, I you and me probably can't even fathom 33 million. You know, it's, it's, it's just a number on paper now. And unfortunately, news outlets will repeat it. And I appreciate that they're trying to hammer that home. But saying that we're in $33 trillion of debt of student loan debt is is just not going to do anything to fix the problem. Um, it, you know, you, yes, we can keep bringing it to the forefront of everyone's mind, but it's not going to do anything. Um, what we really need to do is literally get everyone in America on a budget. And some of the reasons that people don't budget, this is one of my favorite things that Dave says, there's too much month left at the end of the money. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, so it, that is the true definition of living paycheck to paycheck. You are literally living within the confines of when you are getting paid. Uh, I The financial freedom for me, I paid off $90,000 of debt by myself in about three and a half years as a single person. I love that. And the freedom that budgeting gave me, and by the way, this freedom came way before I paid off all the debt. But once I started budgeting, I knew what was in there. I was free from having to log into my online banking app every five minutes. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how often I was doing it wow. until I stopped doing it. So financial freedom for me, when I finally got on a budget and started paying off my debt with diligence was freedom from the online banking system and yeah. having to check it every 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, and the other reason people don't budget is you already alluded to it, Amy, is the money fights. Oh. It's the disagreements. Yeah. So we already know we're overspending. We already know we have too much month left at the end of the money. And then when we bring it up to our spouse, if we're married, it's a nightmare. Yeah. It's not like, hey, can you do the dishes? You might as well just take in the plate and thrown it at your spouse's head. <laughs> like it, 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 the second money comes out of people's mouths, it's crazy. Um, so again, the number it's the number one reason for divorce in North America, but it is listed on nine out of 10 divorce decrees. And it's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, the third reason people don't budget is they're afraid of what they're going to find. Oh, well, the, and that's what I was going to say. I remember early, early on in my adult life, I carried, remember those little tiny stenal books? you know, that they flipped over. I had one of those in my purse and every time I spent money, now this is back in the day when cash was really what you spent. And then- Like you, one of these things? It was even smaller, you know, <laughs> smaller, like that, yep. <laughs> like you could even put it in the in a pocket, you know, it was that okay. small. And, and so I had to write every time I opened up my wallet, every time I wrote a check, I needed to write that down exactly what was done because back in those days, mostly we had a lot of cash on us and we, yep. and we paid a lot of things with cash. And so it wasn't okay just to even go to the bank statement and, and, you know, run programs there to see what you're spending. And that was so eye opening to me because I see this happen with a lot of families where it's like, oh, well, it, it's just $5. It's just $2. It's just $10. It's just, but when you're just $5-ing every day, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the month, it's $150. Oh, it's more than that. I had a, I have a couple that I'm working with right now that she was, she jokingly said at the beginning of the session, I just spent $45 on uh, boogie boards for her sons. 
Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the session, she's like, oh my God, I, I shouldn't have spent that $45, <laughs> you know? And it was, it, 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 she was very genuine in that right. response, hundred percent. Right. But she thought that because she, they had kind of already been diligent, not on paper, not doing a full budget, right. but right. they were already cognizant of it. She's like, I thought because I was being cognizant in other areas that this $45 was just $45. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, because I do this exercise with people when it comes to what we eat, you know, that type of thing. You, you cannot change what you're not aware of. You yes. cannot make an impact with what you're not aware of. So, you know, I have a lot of people, you're writing down everything you put in your mouth. You know, you're writing down every time you spend that money. And honestly, until you do that exercise, even if all you do it for is 30 days, mm-hmm. even if you just do it for a week, that's going to give you an eye opener to how much money you're spending yep. that you Absolutely. don't even understand you're doing. It's so funny because uh, for everybody watching, we did not compare notes before this, but you literally just alluded to the fourth reason that people don't budget, <laughs> which is because they think they don't need to. Yeah. They don't oh, realize yeah. what is going out. They they don't have a steno pad of expenses leaving. They're not looking at their online banking every five minutes. Most people feel they don't need to budget as long as they can meet the household's needs, whether it's a family or a single person, and they can make the minimum payments. Ah. So they're not even aware of the fact of what is leaving their pocket, their account, their checking account every single week or every single month. I don't need to. I make plenty of money. Okay. So exactly. And they think that this is okay, that this is an okay way to live. So um, I know that when we had to go make purchases of different various things, um, say you're going to go buy a car, for instance, the Lincoln that we just bought, you know, the first conversation that they want to have with you is what do you want your monthly payment to be? Um, no, thank you. Don't talk to me that way. Uh, you know, because I, that's not how I'm going to make this purchase. And, you know, that is a tough one to get over because people think, well, I can afford, you know, a hundred dollars a month that, that, you know, I I can forego this and we can afford a hundred dollars a month. Do you realize when you put things on those, you know, monthly payment plans, how much you are paying for something. So my mother went to go buy a car probably about four years ago and she went to a Subaru dealership. She wanted something. She was in New York. Uh, even though she was closer to the city, she wanted something with four wheel drive uh, because of the area mm-hmm. she was living in. Mm-hmm. And so she went to a Subaru dealership and all those cars are four wheel drive. And she got to the end of the sales process, Amy, and said, oh, wait, I'm paying cash. And they said, we're going to have to charge you more. That was the first time I ever heard of that. And since then, I have heard of that over and over. And I don't want to badmouth Subaru because every other time I've heard about it, it has been something else besides a Subaru dealership. They They literally said out loud, we have to charge you more if you're paying cash. They didn't say this part, but it's because they wouldn't make any money off of you on the financing. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. That is now a line item for them. That's how they make money. uh, Yeah, well, how in the world do you schedule that into your budget as a business? It it just, anyways, okay, so... (laughs) 
we can go into bitch mode here, but we're not we'll going go into the morality to. Of, of financing, like in another 45 minute conversation. <laughs> Let's have that later. Okay. So we talked yeah. about the kind of the top reasons people don't like to budget, you know, there's, was there more than four? Let me just make that was sure. It. You nailed okay. them. <laughs> we, we had more than four. So we, you know, we have the budget and the budget, everything comes back to the budget. We're not going to get out of debt if we don't have the budget. We're not going to be able to save money if we don't have the budget. So everything goes right. down to the budget. Um, we're coming up to the, uh, we're actually going to go an hour on this one. And we're coming in <laughs> <laughs> into the, you know, talk to me audience. If you want to hear more about this, we can bring Suzanne on. I'm sure that she'll be willing to come on and talk more about <laughs> this. But let's wrap this up. If everything is tight around that budget, what are kind of the first three steps, first three tips best suggestions that you can give people that this is absolutely going to impact your life and make all the difference in the world for you. Yeah. So honestly, I will tell your audience how to start their budget. It's there's four things. That's it. Okay. Uh, we call them the four walls, all right. uh, food, shelter, utilities, and transportation. Okay. There's a fifth wall called clothing, um, but that really is has to be like a necessity category. So food, shelter, transportation, and utilities. Uh, food, obvious reasons, you know. Uh, shelter, probably more obvious reasons. Utilities, in 2020, what utilities mean, electricity, gas or oil, uh, propane, depending on how the place is heated. Uh, in a certain climate, if it's cooled, some areas, mm -hmm. absolute cooling is an absolute necessity. Um, cell phones are considered utilities, and so is internet. Um, because, and this was even pre-pandemic, but now that we're post-pandemic, you literally probably couldn't have done your job if you didn't have high-speed internet. Right. Um, I actually did have one client that ended up having to go to their uh, employer and saying, I, I canceled my high-speed internet to save money because it was costing them $180 a month. It's... And then they had to work from home. And so thank God the employer said, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, in theory, they should be reimbursing all these people for their high-speed internet. Well, <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what happens if by the end of the year. But let's let's talk about this before we get off the call. Because if you in the last 90 days that you've had to start working at home, you can write off a yes. square footage of your of your house. It's the mortgage payment, it's the insurance payment, it's the utilities, it's all of that. That that is an absolute tax deduction for you because you are now home officing. So absolutely. Uh, and then, so going back to the utilities, uh, most of my clients, I would say probably about 90% during the pandemic saw an increase in their electricity bills mm -hmm. because now you have two adults at home or one adult at home and four kids at home. And so now we have, now right. we have an increased electricity bill too. So yeah, get with your tax professional hundred percent. This is, this is a really good example of why I always tell people, I know TurboTax is cheap. I know it might even be free or whatever software, but having a tax professional for $150 a year can be invaluable. And I think this year it's going to be worth its weight in gold for sure. Ab absolutely. Yep. absolutely. And then the fourth part of that budget, again, food, shelter, uh, transportation, and utilities. The transportation part, uh, this was really important when, and it is still important for essential workers, you got to get to work. Yeah. Your income is your most powerful wealth building tool. Let me say it again. Your income is your most powerful wealth building tool. If you are an essential worker, if you are still traveling to and from work, if you're going to be traveling to and from work starting in the fall, 
you need solid transportation. So that's why food, shelter, transportation, and utilities make up the four walls of our budget. As alluded to earlier, clothing obviously is a necessity. Most of the time, if you're getting on a really tight budget, you can probably wear whatever it is that you have in the house right now. <laughs> well, and let's just say, um, number one in transportation, does that also include insurance and gas? Yes. And okay, all right. Yep. And then insurance, gas, maintenance, oil changes, tire rotations that you've got to have. I don't care if your vehicle yep. was $3,000 when you bought it, it's got to be able to get you from A to B. A to B, right. And then when it comes to clothing, another thing I just want you guys to remember, and then we're going to wrap all of this up. And honestly, if you guys are enjoying this conversation as much as we are, <laughs> tell us about it, you know, in the comments below, and we'll make sure that we bring this um, on and further that education. In fact, you should come on to the, the group, the Toxin-Free Lifestyle Group, and we'll do a live q and a in there. Um, there is, uh, and I've done this in other shows, women only wear, they wear less than 42% of their clothes that they have in their closet. Ladies, <sighs> dig in there. Fine, you can make things match and, and do things. We can get away with far less clothes than what we what we have. Right. It's, it's, it's a luxury. It is not a necessity. Yeah. And on a, if you are trying to get out of debt or if you are going into your closet and you've pared it down to that 42% and you're like, okay, Amy's right. This is all I wear. Mm -hmm. Here's the other 60 something percent. And I think out of that 60 something percent, I could probably sell some of this stuff. Oh my gosh, Poshmark has brought in more money for some of my clients than I even want to tell you. I'm like, my stuff isn't worth as much money. What did you buy? <laughs> yeah, I, there's, yes, absolutely. Resell and, yeah. you know, don't buy new clothes. Go out and thrift. Uh, use the the apps like Poshmark. Um, if you haven't heard of it, we'll link it in here. Um, I'm going to just make a little note about it because, oh my gosh, it's it's fantastic. And wash the darn things and you're just fine. All right. right. We're wrapping up now. Um, Suzanne, final thoughts that you want to give out to the, the viewers? You know, what, what do you, what do you want to say? Take a moment and ask yourself again, is what you're doing financially creating the life that you want to have long-term? Because personal finance is made up of two things. It's made up of the personal and it's made up of the finance. 80% of it is the behavior part. Only 20% is the numbers. Yeah. So 80% of your personal finance is up to you. It is up to your behaviors. It is up to your, you changing your habits, bringing in new, fresh, healthy ideas, getting rid of the toxic ideas of needing to keep up with the Joneses. Only 20% of personal finance is the dollar amount. I can get anyone out of debt. If I could get out of debt, in three and a half years when I was single, living in Southern California, coming from New York, because apparently I can't live anywhere that's cheap. Anyone can do it. Anyone exactly. can do it. All right. How can our, how can our viewers find you? Uh, my website is gracefinancialcoaching.com and that's grace like God's grace. And then I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find me on any of those platforms by typing in grace financial coaching and I will come right up. I love that. Thank you so much, Suzanne. You have been a blessing. And I know that there's uh, so many out here that needed to hear this message today. Wonderful. Thank you, Amy. You're the best. 
that's all for this episode of the Toxin Terminator. And we hope we've helped you remove the hidden toxins in your life for renewed health. If you're looking to continue your journey towards full rejuvenation, reach out to Amy directly by visiting amycarlson.com for your own one-on-one chat session, as well as your free toxic risk assessment. That's A-I-M-E-E carlson.com. And remember, you are just one small change away from renewed health.